Hello, sales heroes, and thank you for joining us for the Ask Alex podcast. I'm Alex, and this is part two of an eye-opening conversation I had with Casey Jackson of the Institute for Individual and Organizational Change. He is also an upcoming speaker at Sherpa's Empath Senior Living Retreat in December. So at the heart of our discussion is empathy. What is it? Why is it different than sympathy and compassion? And how approaching senior living sales from a truly empathetic mindset can benefit our prospective residents. I want to give a huge thank you to Casey, who really changed my perspective and gave me new tools for approaching senior sales and actually life in general. So here's that discussion. Enjoy. It seems to me, and there's lots of data, and in my experience, and based on the best sales performers data that we published, were behaviors that demonstrate that these counselors are going to where the prospect is, or at least, and this is a very difficult thing to measure, because we're not doing sentiment analysis in terms of what the conversations are like, but we can measure crudely somehow how many advances, including trust breakthroughs, when someone shares something with you because they trust you, something that's not obvious. Um, so you measure these advances. We measure the time that people dedicate to prospects, meaning that they have longer conversations that they spend more time planning for what it is that their, their approach is going to be by questioning through planning sessions what they know and what they don't know about that person and what good questions could they ask to help them become more aware of where they are in the journey. Home visits, even if you go there and don't necessarily use your empathic skills, the fact that you just showed up and went you know, makes you stand out from the crowd because it tells the prospect, this person cares enough about me that they took the time to come see me. You know, that's different, very difficult to screw up. I mean, you can do better at the effectiveness of home visits. But so all these things, planning, home visits, time, creative follow-up, meaning I am reflecting back to you via something tangible that I've heard you and that you made an impact on me, whether it is I just really love poems by Mary Oliver. And so then I find a poem by Mary Oliver and I put it in a frame and I send it to her. So those are the behaviors, right? But, but it's crude. How do we get better at empathy so that we can speed up that process not for us but for the prospect yeah it, well it's fun listening to you talk about this alex because i literally can watch both sides of your brain work <laughs> there's the way that the podcast starts which is a spiritual embracing human perspective and then i watch your brain flip over into the how do we manage the five move-ins a month like it's just, and those are the two different things. Cause literally what you were just talking about, the vision that gets in my brain, I would actually was going through my mind is, well, of course the fish don't want to be caught. Like you're trying to, okay, give them a little bit more lead. Okay. Now reel them in a little closer. Okay. Now put, put a, put a poem on the end of the hook. Okay. Now reel them in a little, okay. Give them a little bit more lead, but how do we get them on the boat? How do we land this fish? And the Thank fish, you. Oh. The, 
the fish don't want to be caught and they don't want to be filleted because they're afraid of what the process is because they don't want to go to an old folks home and die. That's what their perception of being landed is. And so one thing I do give senior living props for is they have significantly made impact and inroads on people's perception of what adult senior living is because up until the last 15 or 20 years, and I know it's still out there is that that's where you go to die. It's a nursing home. That's what I know that that's what the people believe it's a nursing home. Yeah. And they don't understand the different levels of care. That's just not what most people know. So the fact that the marketing has improved that people now are talking about, this is if you want a vibrant life, you're not moving here to die. You're moving here to live. You're dying in your home. You're coming here to live like this vibrant, exciting. So I keep thinking about is vibrancy is such a, a thing that's marketed in senior living now. Yeah, yeah but uh, there's a disconnect, Casey, because you tell me all these things. I know all these things cognitively, but emotionally, I don't really know. I don't, I don't know. I don't believe it. I'm, I'm too stuck in, in uh, this, in fear. Right. And that's where your ambivalence exists. And, and, and me taking you poems and, and blueberry pie makes you trust me and builds relationship. And it does not resolve your ambivalence. It just, what do I do when we, when I show up with a pie? The, the thing that I think of is it may reduce the resistance, but your whole focus, at least in the, in motivational interviewing, the whole focus is to help Alex resolve her ambivalence. Because there's part of it looks at and thinks like, oh my God, that almost looks like spring break for adults, but I can't afford that. And that's not me. So it's like, yes, I'd love to do that, but I don't think I can afford that. And do I really want to live out of my house? I mean, this is literally the pinging that goes back and forth in someone's brain about making these kind of any decision. Like, do we, do we need a bigger house? Do we need a smaller house? Do we need, I don't care what the decision is. It's just, can we afford it? And is it really, really what we need? And you're talking about with older generations that are like, I don't really need that. Of course I would love that, but I don't need that. And is this about inheritance? Is this about, what is this about? You know? So, I mean, Hmm. there's all these values inside of there. So honestly, yeah, I'll put the poem in the bathroom, you know, on the, on the back of the toilet. And we'll look at that poem when I go in there and, you know, and the pie was really good. Where did you get that? When the the world really falls apart and when I really have no choice now, but to change, I'm going to call the nice girl that sent me the poem. Right. That's what you're hoping for in relationship sales. And that your blueberry pie tasted better than the other person's apple um, muffins from the other community. So, then, so now I show up with, a, I'm still going to bring the pie, but because okay. I usually get hungry when I go on a home visit, I need to eat something. Right. And so we will share a little pie, but what do I do? I, I show know, up with a pie. I know the pie is not going <laughs> to. There's a difference between what I know. And then I know what your industry does. I know what your industry does is discovery. And there's nothing wrong with that, but the discovery is still reeling somebody in. It's what can we learn about them to show how, I know that the our product yeah. fits. Yes. Okay, right. I know what you think. I know what Alex Fisher says when she's talking about discovery, but I know what discovery is in senior living. And those are two different things. I know your discovery comes from a place of compassion. And I want to learn about this person. I want to understand them because that's you, Alex. And I know that's what you want to replicate with other people in your industry. But your heart and your head is in a very specific place around that. And you're trying to figure out how do I replicate this for other people and, and have them understand 
that an authenticity can get you further. Um, to let go of the need to get that outcome can get you a better outcome. I know that's how your brain works. And I know that's what you're trying to educate and inform people on and deconstruct and understand for yourself. If it continues to feel like it's a prospect for people, and I know this is what the industry thinks, then you're, as a consumer, a prospect means you're digging for my gold. You're prospecting me. That's what prospect did is dug for gold. So that's, so if I'm a prospect, you're digging for my money. And, yeah. and, and even that mentality is hard to escape when that's what the culture continues to push. We need five move-ins. Whether they, we want them to fit, we want them to be part of our community, but we also need the bed filled. So if they don't fit completely, we'll make it work. We'll put a garden in the backyard for them to, to dig in. Um, you know, I mean, just, it's all that adaptation because we need to get the beds filled. The, the shift is, and this is what I was talking about before, is, is capacity there. You have the, the capacity is not enough capacity for the need out in the world. And so what it comes down to is when you bring the pie then, so this goes all the way back around to what your original question was, is okay, I'm still going to bring the pie. So what do I do from that point forward that is you're helping the individual work through their ambivalence and not to work through the ambivalence so you get the sale. That's manipulation, no matter how kind you are. It's how do I listen through discovery to find the pain points or the turning points for this person that you're manipulating. I don't care what you want to call it. That is manipulation and it can be relationship sales. And I'm not going to say it's bad or it's wrong. It's just not what you are asking me about. Right. I'm asking you about something else. I'm asking you about building skills that actually help that people resolve that. ambivalence. That's exactly it. And, and that is a different approach when you bring the pie. When you bring the pie, it's just like, this is a nice lady that's bringing me a pie. And then if you say genuinely, this is not even about senior living or senior sales. It's just that, you know, with your situation that you had some curiosity about any, not even our senior living, anybody's senior living. The reason why you asked for the brochure or stopped by the, the open door event, is there something inside you that's wondering, where am I at at this point in my life? I don't need to know the life history to listen to where their ambivalence is about moving. I don't need to, I don't need to do all that. And I understand that's the culture of senior living. What I need to do is listen deeply to this individual and find out where is their internal dilemma about where they want to live and what quality of life do they want from this point forward. And my natural instinct in sales is to feature dump and say, but we have amazing food and really nice beds and really nice people. And you can eat when you want to, and you can go swimming and we'll take you to Broadway shows and you can have your own garden. It's just feature dumping. I, I know that. And that can increase ambivalence, but that doesn't resolve ambivalence. And that's not empathy, that's sales. Right. So, so just, oh, I have so many thoughts about that. So um, we, we share stories or we elicit stories. I don't need to know the person's life story, oh. but what, what helps me when they tell their story, well, certainly it helps with me painting a picture of the person um, so that I can imagine their life through the narrative of their story. Yes. I can also, it also helps me understand what they value in yes. life based on what was the happiest time of your life? You know, what, what, how do you want to be remembered? What would you say your legacy is? Those things are not for me to learn, but for them to stay. Yes. Because foundationally, a move of this kind, a change of this nature will affect 
every part of that person's life. Yes. Their story, their roles, their, you know, their, their roles, their family roles, what they do every day, what they think about, their environment, everything. It's, it's a change that will, will affect all these things. So when we talk about trying to understand what someone values is so that then you can hear the ambivalence and you can think for yourself or, or cognitively understand that their current living situation is no longer congruent with what they value. Yes. In other words, that's why people seek change. Because yes. they're that homeostasis that, that, we, that we form in life, that balance, right? Interestingly enough, I had a terrible episode of vertigo and losing your balance is, is the worst feeling, right? So it's almost as though, as though they're out of balance yes. and you want to restore that balance. You don't want to restore it. They need to restore their balance. Yeah. And, you know, again, this is probably for our listeners out there. If anyone's, is anybody listening? <laughs> if listening, um, it is so key that you don't just kind of shut this out because, because if you can dig into if you can help that person start to express what they value, I believe that there's a dialogue that goes inside of them that really sort of reinforces the fact that change is needed. Yes. Their values are not being, but this has nothing to, to do with you telling them about the features of your community. It's only an exploration of, are you living your best life? Yes. And well, it's not and Alex, what's holding from back from it. And what you were just talking about, what you just distinguished and how you were talking about things is it literally listen to the different language that you're using, Alex. It helps me understand their values in their life. It helps me get a better sense of the, those aren't wrong. Those are self-centered. Yep. It helps me. Then what you just said was that in their brain, they're starting to understand what's going on inside of them. They can understand that I'm not at the state I want to be at. And I want to be at a state where I feel more comfortable, where I, where I feel engaged in life. As long as I'm in life, I want to be engaged in life. And that's how it feels inside of them. Now you're talking other language. So this is why the empathy side is more of what you were just wrapping up talking about than the majority of you were talking about up front from the sales perspective. Exactly right. Can I say it all over again? Yes, please. All over again. Please. I say it all over again. The, the reason that we have these areas of inquiry are so that the person is able to talk about, I don't need to know what they value. I, for me, because as a matter of fact, it's a burden for me. Now you've got it. it. This yeah, is it. it then then it, it becomes a burden for me because now I'm concerned and, oh, you know, and then I have to build a whole story in my head about what I should do. And, yes. and that just I'm taking off without my prospect, without yeah. the person. I'm going on a path that I have no idea. It's my path. Yes. Because, okay, I have all the discovery. Now I know. And now I'm going to act accordingly. And then, you know, I'm going to get stuck again with this yes. person. So the purpose of of exploring with curiosity is so that the person can say it out loud and they can become 
more aware of what it is their value, where the yes. incongruency is, and, and then are able to talk themselves into or to resolve that ambivalence and say, there you are. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. it. Right? That's we it. it. We got it. So we don't need to know the story. We don't need to know the values. No, we really need to have them. Yes. Facilitate a process in which they talk about their values. Yes. They're able to untangle in their own minds through a conversation that's facilitated by a leasing counselor that actually understands the empathic process. Yes. Just get yourself out of the way. Put that's yourself it. Out of that equation. Wow, this is really foundational, and this is this is earth shattering because this is the new evolution of what it is, yes. how we're going to teach it. Yes. And I want to first say that sales, you know, in a sense, I, I try to put, you know, it's not like I'm trying to put lipstick on the pig or something right. because that's kind of offensive. I, I believe sales can be very heroic in any, in many cases, you know, selling change, selling has such horrible negative connotations and no one wants to be sold. But no, it's not so much that no one wants to be sold, is that nobody wants to be told what to do. Right. No one wants to be convinced. No one wants to lose agency as to my own decisions. Yes. Nobody wants that, regardless of whether you're in sales or you're a doctor uh, or you're whatever professional you are. You need to understand that you can be heroic. You can come from a place in which I'm really other centered. I leave myself to the side and I completely have you as the star of this, of this interaction, or I want to build a relationship in which my expectations and desires coming into play into that relationship. And I get you to like me and trust me, but we're not really going to get very far or at least it's going to take longer. Yes. So, so yeah. So shit. Yes. It's big. Yes. Because what you're saying, Alex is, and, and I know that this part of the culture in sales now is just trying to move. There are certain parts of sales that are transactional. There are parts of sales that are evolving into transformational and and even shifting from relationship sales to basically partnering for transformation. And so what would even evolve from the terminology of uh, somebody who's doing leasing or sales or whatever title somebody's going to bestow on me, <clears throat> in my worldview, what I look at is somebody would pay you to help them resolve their ambivalence not for you to resolve their ambivalence. And I think this is, if we're going to make it succinct, Alex, in, in, in that aha moment, is the difference between me helping them resolve their ambivalence versus me being in a place where they get to resolve their ambivalence. Yes. So they're the ones resolving their ambivalence. I'm not resolving their ambivalence. And it's I that- could, How could I possibly resolve anybody's ambivalence? I mean, I don't want that kind of power. I don't have that kind of control. I can't exactly. even resolve my own ambivalence, let alone somebody else's. That's exactly it. That's what, you're, that's what you're putting on salespeople, though. That's what you're putting on the sales force is resolve somebody's ambivalence for them. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, exactly. 
And again, me, 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 I got to do it all. And the burden of that is so huge that I yes. just want the easy one, the person that's ready. Yes. I totally get it. But you know, somebody that's some- resolved their ambivalence. That's why I want on. That's what I want. I want that call list. I want a call list of people that have all resolved their ambivalence and they're looking for a place to live now. That's the call oh, list. God, this, remind, this reminds me, I, I, I went to, to, um, yeah, I love to go to this place, um, you know, a spa where they have all these woo healers, etc. And I, I went to see this one guy and he was really, really good. And he did, um, you know, we did a little gestalt therapy and then he did some some work with my breath and et cetera. And, you know, and uh, I did, you know, what he said I should do. And it was really helpful. And I said at the end, because I try, I'm very compassionate, <laughs> not necessarily empathic. And I said, wow, aren't you exhausted? You know, thank you so much. You've helped me so much. Aren't you exhausted, you know, doing this over and over with all these people? And he said, not at all, because I didn't do any of the work. You did all the work. Mm-hmm. I'm not exhausted. That's exactly it. But I used to get exhausted when I sold and I thought I had to build relationships. It was exhausting. Yes. And I can, how can I sustain this? But then I realized from this conversation and just past experience that if you just don't take on this responsibility of resolving someone's ambivalence or getting them to do something or trying to convince them, wow, what a relief. Just facilitate the conversation inside the person's head that will help them help themselves. And it's almost, it's almost like offering this blanket for them to, you know, this space. Yes. Here's this space and it's sacred. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go in it. I actually visualize sometimes a space. I'm, I'm in conversation with another person and I'm attempting to really be there and to listen. And so I visualize this space and I'm on the other side. I'm watching, I'm listening, but I'm not going into that space. Really hard to do. I mean, that's kind yes. of crazy, but I just put a bright light around it and I just observe and listen and maybe just say, you know, what else and what, what else might there be? Anyway. Me, me, me. But yes, it's so hard for us to get ourselves out of ourselves and into the hero, into outside of what our brain tells us that we need to do for, for safety, for control, for results, and just really let somebody else talk themselves in or out of what they need to do. You know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back around, Alex, to what you'd asked earlier, like how do we get there or what does it take to to embrace or embody that level of empathy. And, and I said, it just depends how committed you are. You know, you were talking about things that you gravitate towards. I remember when I was working in the prison system, I, I ran across this one story, very brief story. And it just was so profoundly impactful for me because I do want to change the world. And I do love helping people. I mean, that is my passion. That's my calling. And the story was a sage and his student were walking through the woods and the sage asked the student, um, what's the one thing you desire in this lifetime? And the student said to find perfect love. And at that moment, they were walking by a pool of water and the sage grabs the student's head and shoves his head underwater. 
and the the student is underwater for a second and then starts to wiggle a little bit and then starts to flail a little bit and then starts scratching at the sage's hands and is just flailing around trying to get out from underneath the water and then finally the sage lets his head up so as soon as he lets his head out of the water and the student comes up and and gets a breath of air the sage says to him as soon as you pursue finding perfect love with the same energy you're trying to fight for finding that breath of air you'll find it so when you get to to that level of desperation you need air so bad that unless you're going to pursue it with that level of intensity you're probably not going to get there and and that was just helpful for me to think about how bad do i want to help people am i willing to what's the vigor at which i would fight to get that breath when i feel like okay enough is enough like literally i'm going to drown you need to let me up and i'm clawing at the hand Like that's the energy we need to put into finding truth. That's the level of, if you want to find perfect truth, if you want to find perfect love, if you want to learn how to express accurate empathy and be transformative, you can't pursue it as a part-time hobby. You're just not going to find perfect love that way. You can't find empathy by doing just kind of part-time hobby. It, it, It depends on how deeply you want to feel and find that. And that's what needs to happen. So let's say that I just need my paycheck, but I actually stumble upon this idea that I want to get better because, because it is. I want to help older adults. find. I don't know. I don't know who wants to, who wants it that badly. I want it that badly, but I'm not really sure it all boils down to it is more of a self you know, it's, it's, it's what I, it's, it's how it makes me feel good when I'm yes. able to facilitate that, you know, it, it all circles back to me, 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 but um, it's a play of, of, you know, it's, it's, it's being able to really have the discipline and the grit because yeah. really listen, I mean, I can have all the skills in the world, but I have to want it. That's it. You know, I have to want it and this wanting it, I don't know where it comes from, but, you know, there's the great writings uh, on, on grit and determination. It just, it's like, you don't give up. Yes. You know, you just don't give up until it's resolved. If you until want you figure it out. If you want it, how badly do you want it? So going back to the, to the sales thing, it's funny, we don't have to, the, the problem that happens to, okay, this makes me think of this, where I want that person to move in more than that person wants to move in. Right. Usually that's the case. I want that outcome. I know that's not exactly what we were talking about. You know, certainly a big diversion from this beautiful analogy of wanting something so bad, like that breath of air. Um, but... But, it, but it, I think it does connect in such a significant way, though, Alex, because if and this is why I think there's such an absence of judgment in whatever people want to pursue. If I'm in senior sales, if I'm in, in senior living sales, if I'm doing it for because the paycheck is really good, there's nothing wrong with that. You, you'll get your five movings, I'm guessing, or you're working but because you know how to do sales. If you're right. going into the field because you genuinely want to offer transformation for older adults, then you're not going to be driven by the numbers, but you're going to want to understand how do I create transformation? And if you study understanding how to create transformation for another human being, your sales are going to go up. 
not because you're pursuing sales, but because you're pursuing transformation. So it does yeah, have- Okay, to- that's it. That's it. Drop the mic. That's exactly right. Of that course, you're not be clear. sales. Because pursuing the results doesn't get you to the results. It's, right. um, it never does. It's let go of the outcome. I keep saying that. And, and again, that creates this, the two brains are saying, but I need the outcome. I can't let go of the outcome. Well, but if you let go of the outcome, you're That's actually good. going to have the outcome. You're much more likely to get to it if you allow the process of transformation, if you allow for, if you're skilled on um, yes. what that process needs to yes. be in terms of your conversation, what you say, yes. the space you give, the, the questions you ask, the pauses, the, the understanding, all these things are going to get you to the outcome. But if yes. you're concerned about the outcome, it's going to effing all up, you yes. know? Okay, this, so that's this great. Point, that's- it, it links to what your perception, what you were saying earlier is you can't just go in with a space of, I want to help people and I'm going to just accept. It can't be that passive. It's what you're talking about is you have to have inspiration. You have to have intention. You have to have a desire you have to bring energy to the space to create new energy. So it's not a passive process of, okay, I just like all the outcomes and bring a pie. That is not going to do anything. You have to have an intention behind that, an intention around transformation, but the intention cannot be this need. This is my number four of number five. I need this month that those are just, those are competing and conflicting energies. Oh, God, I love you, Casey. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Uh, I, I, that's exactly, you know, I'm going to tell you that um, before I stumbled upon this world of sales, I always say sales in air quotes, and, and, you know, I respect sales a lot now, you know, when it's well done, it's transformation for people. Yes. I was an artist or I guess once an artist, I just like to draw people. Yes. And so I like in the process of there's, there's something that happens when you intimately observe someone and you draw their likeness and you reflect it back to them. And I always tell the story of, you know, I'm probably 22, 23 years old. I am in a life drawing class in uh, Casper, Wyoming, after I moved to Wyoming and I <laughs> adjusted uh, going back to our first podcast. And so, so they're bringing in this gentleman, his name was Eddie. They're bringing him from the senior center, you know, the senior center who had actually taken in this gentleman who was living on the streets and had never spoken a word. We were looking for models, interesting models, older adults. And so our professor you know, hooked up with the senior center and they brought Eddie to pose for us. And so Eddie sat in the middle of the room, you know, with lights on his face. And we, you know, a group of about 10 or 15 of us students on our easels proceeded to draw his likeness, to draw a portrait of him. Drawing a portrait, you saying, I need to draw something that looks like Eddie will not help you at all in drawing Eddie at all. You have to allow deep observation to inform every line that you're going to draw. And it's a deep observation that drops assumptions of this is a nose and this is what a nose should look like. So I'm going to draw a nose that ends up being generic and not Eddie's. 
This is how our brain tricks us because it wants to make assumptions about what the nose looks like, what the eyes look like. And then you end up drawing something that sort of looks like it, but not at all. So the process of drawing someone, this, the end of the story is that I drew Eddie and Eddie went around after everything is done and to look at people's work. And the, the, the aide, the senior center executive director was walking him behind every easel to check it out. And he stopped at mine and tears started to go down his cheeks. And he said, that's me. And the lady, the executive director said, Eddie, you can speak. Because they hadn't heard him utter a word until that moment. It was goosebumps and it was transformational for me because through my observation of him, I reflected back, this is you. He felt seen and something happened within him that was profound. This idea that someone will care enough to look at you deeply enough and reflect it back to you where you feel seen exactly for who you are. So it's about drawing people in a sense. And you don't use a brush. You don't use a pencil. You use skills. Yes. Um, you use questions. You use pauses and observations. And more, more importantly, you, you let go of the outcome to produce the outcome by allowing the process to produce the outcome. And, and Alex, I think the, the, direct link I would say to that is where people will get confused is that then what they'll ask you to do is Alex would you create a paint by number so other people can paint Eddie and so mm -hmm. you'll create the paint by number and they can fill in all the things and it'll look like your portrait and it's not going to make Eddie speak no because every every person will have their own set of numbers Right. So what you need to do, what you need to do is I'm not going to give you a script. I'm not going to give you what to do or what to say. What I'm going to say to you is what I want to do is give people the tools, the skills yes. so that they can, they can observe, that they can yes. translate what they see into the reality of the person. Yes. And this is the difference between paint by number, which they can follow if they want a portrait of Eddie, or do they want to become an artist? Those are two completely different concepts is yes, I can give you a paint by number and you can recreate Eddie. Um, or do you want to learn how to be an artist? And, and in the beginning, they may need to use paint by numbers, but at a certain point, you need to let go of the script and start to, to be able to move beyond the script to find out what is transformation. And this is the difference between just doing it right and becoming an artist. And this is the exact same construct we're talking about between transactional and transformational sales. Oh, I love it. That's exactly right. And yeah, it won't help for me to give you a template for Eddie because every person, you know, in your world or in your lead base, if you're a salesperson is unique. Exactly. And therefore it is, I, <laughs> I, 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 have to, I have to learn how to see I have yes. to learn how to see someone. And then the, the shape of it, the conversation, the question is going to be unique to that individual. Absolutely. It's why you cannot script an, a motivation-based conversation. You can't script it. It's, it's mathematically impossible. We can't even say, well, Alex, what did you say to her that made her change her mind? You can tell them verbatim, 
they can watch a video of what you said to her that made her make a decision and resolve her ambivalence. And they can go in and talk to someone the exact same age, the exact same birthday, you know, the, everything presents the same and say the exact same word you did. And it's not going to get the same outcome. It's not going to work because it's not the same person. Yes. And, you know, our industry is famous for um, scripts. I, I, I shouldn't say our industry is famous for anything. I, I'm just saying that um, I think we've, we've kind of beat that horse within the industry about scripts working. I think at some point, you know, people weren't doing anything, so they didn't even know what to say. So they were given scripts and somehow, you know, that worked minimally, but it really doesn't. There is no such thing. I, um, I believe that if you, I believe that you can be an artist, that all, all of us can have a transformational impact yes. um, in other people's lives. And I don't care if you're selling, you're an executive director, if you're, if you're in any industry that, yes. that wants to help people. If you want it to be transformational, your job can be transformational irrespective of what the role is, if that's what you want. If you want transactional, if you want high producing, high census, you can go for that as well, too. There's nothing wrong with that. But no, but no wait, wait, wait. I'm just let me stop you there because everybody wants high functioning and high senses and fast. Yeah. It's just that without the skills, you're not going to get there. You're going to get right, all the right. leads are the same. You're going to get more leads that are the same. You're going to get stuck at the same place and then you're going to go back and your, your conversions are going to be minimal. Yes. Or they're going to be the industry average. Do you want to do better? Do you want to have a more profound effect on your results? Let go of the result, focus on the person, help that person resolve their own ambivalence by facilitating that process, get better at it so that you can do it faster. So the person doesn't have to fester in a situation of ambivalence and status quo. And then, then you're going to be high performing. Then you're going to have the results that you always dream for. Every person has their own timing. Every person needs someone to help them resolve this ambivalence so that they can live their best lives. I'll, I'll tell you, Alex, I need to share this because it's, it's from your industry. And I had no intention ever, ever of working in your industry, ever. And I was getting pursued. And How many out. Evers is that? There's like five Evers there. Oh, ever. So ever. No desire. And I kept getting pursued and people say, we'll pay you this money. We'll do this. And I'm just like, I'm not doing the training. That's just not what it's designed for. And what happened was one person was pursuing me to do this training who I'd already turned down four or five times because I said, never, ever, 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 ever. And um, he said, will you talk to one of our EDs? And I said, yes, it's not going to change my mind, but yes, I'll talk to your ED. And they both said, why don't you do the training? And I said, okay, let's, let's reframe this. Let's say that I do the training and you make a decision to do it exactly the way that I tell you, and you have a drop in sales. It's person-centered. It will align 100% with your vision statement and your values and your mission, but you have a drop in sales. Is that really what you want? And the ED said to me, if people don't belong here, we don't want them here. We want them in their best possible living situation. If it's in another community, we want them in a different community. And I, I literally didn't even know what to say. 
because that is not what I expected somebody in sales to say. And no one had ever responded that way because most people were saying, well, we can adjust it or we'll adapt it or we'll make it work. And it's like, no, if I'm going to do it, then it has to be done to fidelity. It has to be done to the recipe for the intention of what it exists. And everyone up until that point in sales had said, well, no, we'll find a way to make it work or we'll adjust it to what we need to. And I'm like, then you can find somebody else to train you at that. That's totally fine. You'll find somebody that will train you, that will take your money, truly. And I'd never had an ED say to me, well, no, if it reduces our sales, then it means that either I'm doing something wrong or they don't belong here. And we want every person we talk to to end up in the right space that they want to live in. And I just thought, I'm willing to have a further conversation with you about this thing. That's incredible. The thing is, it won't reduce your sales. The thing is that exactly you know, we're not we're not getting people to, you know, we're not abandoning a process that works really well at volume and velocity and getting all. We're not. No, it's not working. No. So, in other words, having the kind of training that develops skills in in helping people resolve ambivalence. Yeah, resolve their ambivalence and make a decision yes. is, is the opposite. It's actually the thing that will generate more sales. I know that to be true. Yes. Um, it's more efficient and it's more effective because the yeah. data bears it out. So here's the two choices. And we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up because I've totally abused of, of your time and, totally and uh, we're gonna we're gonna I may have to call you back and I'm so excited to see you at at Empath, that's going to be a really cool retreat, and we'll you, you're going to dig deeper on on some of these issues of what what is the best sales approach to create transformational change in people to help people, you know, get the benefit of a rich, meaningful life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, all this good stuff. It's fascinating, um, fascinating. I, I, I've learned a lot. I can't wait. Um, to to be able to apply this um, this idea of a to summarize create a, an awareness of what's going on inside of me so I can put myself in an other centered place before I meet with someone and then immediately immediately or as soon as possible be able to be in a position to listen for what's keeping somebody stuck where, where the ambivalence is in yes. terms of should I move or should I not move or should I move now or later and then help that person through skillful questions and a great conversation that allows for that person to talk themselves to hear their own thoughts and let the talker have a conversation out loud with their own thoughts that that's it, isn't it? It's as simple and as hard as that. And the hardest part, Casey, is for us to let go of that outcome to get the outcome that we want. That's it. And what I would what I would what I would put the bow on that summary, Alex, would be that it comes down to am I facilitating that their behavior is in line with their values? Or am I trying to facilitate that their behavior lines up with what my values and my goals are? And that's, that's the differentiation as you wrap up that summary is what keeps it clean is if all you're doing is trying to help this person resolve their ambivalence so their behavior continues to align with their deeper values and goals versus their behavior in line up with your need to get a sale. To keep those two separated, even in the last moments of a conversation, takes discipline and 
a, a compassion and a desire to help other people. Um, and the more you operate from that place, you've said it so many times, the higher the probability your sales are going to increase and your outcomes are going to improve. Oh, that's beautifully said. Casey, thank you so very, very much. If, if someone's curious about, about you, um, where do they find out about you? There's the, just, I have a, my own website, just caseyjackson.com. But, but, you know, what I teach is motivational reading and people around the world teach on it. I've just really have focused on the evidence-based side of it and the science and the research and the compassion behind it. And that's just kind of my area that I am, am completely engrossed in and fascinated with of how do we use communication to help people change? How do we help them evolve and be who they want to be and transform? And that's why there is nothing you can say, Alex, that is an abuse of my time. When I get the honor of hanging out with you and having deep conversation, the only thing I'm missing is a cup of coffee or a glass of wine and good music and looking at your art up close that's sitting behind you. That's the, that's the only abuse that's for me is that you're withholding me from some of this greatness that you are. So, uh, so that's, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's been absolutely, uh, I just, I, I could do this for hours on end with you. It just, it totally intrigues me. Thank you so much, Casey. I, I am deeply grateful for this conversation. Me as well. Namaste. Namaste. Stay heroic. <laughs> So folks, that was the second and final part of my conversation with Casey Jackson. Our conversation on the podcast ends here, but I am so looking forward to joining Casey at Empath, December 6th and 8th in Santa Barbara. Thank you, Casey, and thank you for listening. Our theme music is called Great Scott from the album Yellow Belt by the very talented band Learn Karate. And you can find them on iTunes. So stay tuned for episode three next week. And until then, stay heroic.